Hey, Speed Freaks, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast presented by SkiRacing.com, where we share our insights and stories on downhill and the legendary courses that will be run this winter. Today's show is all about Val Gardena, the Saslong, the downhill with the most terrain on the circuit, and to me, the most fun downhill to run the whole year. Hi, everyone. I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller and the first ever American to jump the camels in Val Gardena back in 1984. Joining me are three of the most celebrated downhillers in our history, a four-time Olympian, a downhiller who had a podium finish in Val Gardena in 1992, AJ Kitt. Next up, Darren Rawls, winner of 12 World Cups and a high finish of only fourth in Val Gardena. We have to talk about that. Lastly, the founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian who also had a fourth at Val Gardena in a race which an American won back in 2006. And today we have that American on as a special guest. Our very own Stephen Nyman, three-time winner of Val Gardena course, 2006, 2012, crazy race, 2014, and he's joining us from Val Gardena. So Stephen, Welcome to American Downhillers Podcast, and how are things going over there? What'd you do today, uh, the day before training starts? I'm fired up to see you, boys. Um, it's great to be here. Great to be with you. Uh, actually, earlier today, I was going through just a bunch of old results here, and just traditionally, the Americans have done really well here. And uh, Marco, man, you were always at the top, always close to the podium, and that that year... You were like 100th, I think, right? One or two hundredths. I was like, oh, dude. Fritz so Strobel. <laughs> Fritz Strobel. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's always wonderful to be back in this valley and uh, just experience the tradition and, and the excitement that it brings. And Barbara, Barbara, come here. We have a special guest as well. Um, the one and only, the lovely Babs. I take you can take yeah, it off. Down, down from uh, this is this is our mama here <laughs> in Val Gardena. And, Hi, uh, I can see uh, your lots there. there. On the <laughs> <laughs> lots of snow in Tahoe. Yeah, we have Darren Rolfs, Marco, AJ Kitt, and Doug Lewis. Doug Lewis, Darren Rolfs. There he is. Yeah. Hey, Darren, speak. Show us your shirt. Sorry. He has a sauce long shirt on yes. right there. Yes. Yeah, Look support. at this. Uh -huh. We got to get you one. Hi, Babs. Yeah, so, Babs here is our mom here at the Alpino Plan, uh, the hotel that we have stayed at forever. And, uh, and it's just family when we come here and we love, yes. we love being here. Yes. She's the best. <laughs> For us, it's the same. For our family, the team is the family. So what is the best meal that you love, Stephen, to get you fueled up that Babs provides? It's always the pasta. It's just tons of pasta uh, for lunch and dinner. Usually ancora, ancora, another, another round. I get two rounds of pasta. Got to get that downhill weight for the flats going. And uh, um it's always a surprise every day do you have a yes. specific rotation or you just like yes, oh, no I'm yesterday carbonara yesterday carbonara yeah not a program but every day something else yes how about the desserts oh tiramisu, tiramisu it's always on friday night for the race the day after yes 
Bye-bye to everybody in America. Bye. Bye, Babs. So, Stephen, give us an update. What you've heard about the course, what you've heard about the snow this year. Um, so they started the course last year a little yeah. higher. It's a few seconds longer. Uh, usually we start out of a side hill and I have a skate rhythm that um, uh, gives me an advantage and I got to kind of figure out this one. Um, but now we go down straight and then turn across the side hill, then turn and go off the first jumps. Uh, the train looks sharp on the flats, so you got to be active there across the flats. I was like working every little piece of train I can just to eke out every bit of speed I can. Um, approaching the Mauer jumps, which are kind of the, the middle jumps, there is there used to be a jump heading into that by the, the house but now we go up and above the house because they wanted a different approach for the super G hill. So it's a little longer flat, which can be beneficial to me. Um, and then uh, it makes the approach to the Mowers tame, but once you hit the Mowers, it's, it's on, you have a good flight off the first and they said the second Mauer looks pretty sharp and big this year. Uh, the camels look good. They look, it doesn't look too sharp on camel one, but the, the big camel uh, looks, legit the gates look a little straighter coming into the shah's lot while approaching uh entrance shah's lot and then it starts swinging up and shah's lot looks similar um exit shah's lot looks like it can be a little tricky I, I have a little special squeaky line i like doing there on some years and it looked like i might be able to do it this year if so i might save it for race day um i i pulled it in 2014 and um it was really good. So <laughs> hopefully I can pull that off. Um, and the finish jump actually looks pretty big, but I, I've only seen this on video and I'll send that to you to, you could show to the audience if they want to take a trip down the sauce long. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a wonderful hill. I love, I love Gardena because it's high and dry, a lot of snow making. They, they get a lot of trails done early here to where we get a free ski a lot and we get to feel that timing and tempo of the skis. We get to um, just get comfortable in that rhythm and, and, and feel our bodies again. Sometimes like Louise Beaver Creek doesn't provide the snow to uh, really feel the skiing. It's, it's so early in the season. Sometimes this year was really hard. If you wanted to figure things out, which I was struggling with, you just couldn't do it. Um, and so I'm happy to be here. And we've had a couple of days of training before this uh, before these races to where uh, I can feel some things out and, and get comfortable. So I'm fired up. Hey, Steven, um, uh, I want to hear a little bit about two things, both mental. Um, you know, one, what's your, what's your mental approach, right? As you're getting ready to go out of the start, like do you have a key word or just something specific that you're thinking about to get yourself mentally in the groove for, for this run, which has so much terrain, uh, and then uh, inside of that, I want to know a little bit about uh, what you see as you approach the camel. So after you land off the mower, you've got a little bit of a flat. And I want to know a little bit about what you see and what your, your mental uh, sort of preparation or cadence is for pressing camel one and popping camel two over three. To answer your first question, it's active and drive. Those are my two words. Um, I got to be active. I got to be ready for the train and I just have to drive. If, if I'm breaking out, I want my hands forward. I want to break the wind. Uh, I don't want to open up this way. So 
uh, those two things, I think are just going to pull me down the hill. But when you're approaching the camels, it's just this big, long flat. And all you're seeing is just this, this freeway in front of you and you're in a tight bullet. And depending on uh, the shape of camel one, you either get out and kind of press or you're going to tuck over that and stay tight. But then camel two drops down and then it just launches you off. And it's all about just having a good solid press, getting in a good position in the air and uh, trying to get back to the ground as soon as possible. Uh, there's the, I think it was 2007 or eight, we flew, I think Balkoffer flew 88 meters off of it, which was massive. Uh, there's another hyperlink I'll send you, Louie, that you could show people how far we actually go off these, the, the camel buckle. Um, it's just so fun and it's just nerve wracking every time you approach it. Uh, usually the first training run, I take it safe. I, I get up, I get high, I make sure I press that first one uh, nicely to just see, um, let the young boys really push themselves <laughs> and tuck hard into it. Um, I just, I, I usually ski really safe, try and ski the terrain well, get the timing and rhythm of all that. And then I start pushing and training run two in the race. So um, I've done really well here, but I've also crashed a lot here, just pushing too hard through the terrain. And um, yeah, you, you have to respect the terrain here. Hey, Nyman, uh, great having you on board with us here at uh, American Downhill Podcast. But, you know, you, your success over the years, I mean, I'd, I'd say your longer legs have helped with suspension. It's like, Is that for me, team? I felt like a little buggy going through the whoops and you're like a trophy truck, man, with the suspension just mowing through stuff. But uh, Alias, Alias uh, Lewis, his teammate of mine, one year we counted how many times we were actually off the ground. It was 26 times there in Valgardena. I think it's one of the hands that, like down the most fun track to ski because there's so much terrain. But like, how's that play into your, your advantage? Um, you feel like your, your legs are always dropping or, or the, the, the snow, the train's dropping away from you. I was always trying to really kind of work the flats as much as I could. And uh, I mean, it's like a constant like battle trying to like make speed up there, it seemed like. I think uh, where my long legs really pay off it, are the little pieces of train on the flat where I can absorb the front side and push down the backside. If you're shorter, you got to expose yourself more. And I don't know if you can actually get back down and create, generate that uh, speed off the backsides of those little pieces of terrain. Um, that focus of just every little piece of terrain and, and gaining speed on everything you can is, is my focus. So uh, that's an advantage. And that's something I don't see many people doing. Uh, the few guys I see do it on a lot of courses would be Bryce, long legs, Dom Paris. He's pretty long. Uh, <coughs> I see in Kitzbühel, actually, he, he pushes on areas that I push and I don't see anybody else do it. And I've talked to him about it. I'm like, I, I see you on the Alta Schneise and it's, it's steep and it's straight down and people just want to relax and tuck and think that's it. But there's three rolls down that thing. And if you work the backside of those, you gain a lot of speed there. Um, and it's, it's noticing those little fine uh, pieces of those downhill courses where you can gain speed where other people aren't necessarily looking. I think that's uh, something that I'm really good at. I think that's a separator for sure. 
And uh, going back to that uh, secret line you're talking about, like, so everybody knows, like, you know, all your competition, you go really straight in there, right? You get way back on the tails and try and, like, just last second, like, make that, that gate, right? In the Chaz lot. Is that the key? <laughs> <laughs> That's how what everybody should try, right? All your competition. <laughs> Pull that out on race day. Yeah. No, I think that's like, that is one of the craziest sections going in that Chaz lot, like that, that timing and that, that line, like in uh, just taking that speed momentum in there. And there's a lot of different combinations that guys try and soak stuff up or double going in the Chaz lot. And yeah. I think you've got that whole section wired. So, yeah, let, let's explain the Chaz lot. So you have the camels, three huge jumps. Uh, the first one, as Steven says, you ride the second two, you, you camel, you jump over the two, which is, Maybe a little easier now, but still frightening and very dangerous. Which, by uh, the way, congrats yeah. on being the first one to do that. I didn't know you were the first one to do that. Yeah, yeah. Eighty-four. Uh, Eighty-four was, you know, it was the uh, the Austrians would do it. Uli Spies, the Austrian, the famous Austrian, he would take a shot of schnapps in the starting <laughs> gate. I would see him do it, and then he would jump the camels. Then the Canadians followed. Then there was a whole bunch of injuries, and everybody freaked out. But in eighty-four, uh, yeah, I just. Unfortunately, uh, I think Darren said this last week, but I just thought about I'm jumping the camels in the starting gate. I'm jumping the camels in the looping. I'm jumping the camels in the mower. Unfortunately, I was not in the right frame of mind, but it was a training run and I jumped as hard as I could. Let's put this in perspective. You guys almost suck up the camels now. I jumped as high and as hard as I could to, to, to uh, get them and I cleared them. So thank nice goodness. Work. I was I was doing it, and when I landed, I I sunk in about three inches. But those in leather uh, boots, right, Louis? In hey, hey, hey. <laughs> anyway, uh, the camels, huge, huge. But let's move on. Right after the camels comes the Cheslock, which you guys have talked about. This is a five-turn, twenty-five, twenty-second section that is best described as running an ice mogul field at 60 miles an hour while turning and trying not to hit anything. Knees, backs, heads, in the case of American Downhill or Sam Duprat last year, tibias and fibias are at risk of being injured. When it's done right, like Stephen Nyman has done it last year, RCS made it look so simple. It's amazing. But when it's done wrong, you find yourself on the second page of the results or in the hospital. It's like a puzzle, isn't it, Stephen? Describe the Ches lot and trying to figure out how to run it as a racer. Uh, the, you're going to set yourself apart if you have conviction every time you're going over these pieces of terrain. Everything's blind. Um, not everything, but you approach basically after the camels. It's another flat. Uh, now they've put a little wiggle in there and there's a couple drop away pieces of terrain and you got to time those right, which sets you up for a big sweeping kind of Daytona turn. And then you're entering Shazla one. Um, and it's a little camel. Sometimes you know every time I've done it, you always camel it. And then you've got to press the second one or the third one. Um, and guys will hesitate. 90% of the field is going to hesitate because they don't, they can't see where they're going. And, and the camels, it's you know it's straight and it's fine. And you're not going to hit anything. The Shaw's lot, you're going to hit the backside of rolls, and and it's and you got to get to the right side of the trail. So you have to know, all right, and be convinced that I'm going to land and I'm going to commit to this turn and I'm going to slingshot myself to the right and get ahead of this train coming up for the fall away right footer, 
And if you can do that and go over that terrain with conviction, throwing yourself forward, you've already gained several tenths on people. So um, really knowing that, really knowing where you're going to put your skis, how you're going to throw yourself over and having the long legs to connect to the backside of that terrain um, is, is key. And also how hard you're going to press off the thing. Sometimes you need to kind of pop it to get to the backside of that second one. Uh, sometimes it's, you, you got to press as hard as you can to get the backside of that second one. Hey, one quick thing too, uh, I mean, race day, I would say probably half my races, it was a game time decision, you know, basically how well you stick that entry, uh, double in a child's lot. Like you said, if you just knuckle a little bit, you lose a little speed. If you get it just right, you make up speed to go in that right footer, then the next left footer, I guess, is that Chazalot 3 you're talking about? But um, that to me was like game time decision. Like now this is how much speed I have. I got to either like suck stuff up or I got to like stiff leg or even like jump a little more. And I think that's like one of the coolest sections of any downhill because I mean, you you can't really stick with a plan A. You have to have, you have, to have like a B and a C there. No, I, I always have you're always constantly analyzing as you're going down. It's like, okay, did I do that? Well, am I slow? Am I fast? Like after Shazlot one, like you said, if you nail Shazlot one and you're ahead of it, you can get underneath that second right footer on that follow-away turn. And you're going to carry some serious heat into Shazlot three and, uh, or two, I guess you'd call it. I keep saying three, but you're not really cameling two. Um, and uh, you can carry some serious heat in there. Some years I've doubled that thing and then you're a little on your heels and you just gotta kind of like wiggle and check a little speed and get over it. And sometimes if you're a little slow, you just gotta carve and press and try and regain the speed that you can. The guy who's the, the wizard at it is Bryce. That guy just, his super long legs, I think his BMX background, he just knows how to work that terrain and stay connected. It's, it's incredibly impressive. When things go wrong, which it often does there, I've unfortunately had to visit a couple of people, a couple of teammates in the hospital. I'm going to throw this to you, Marco. You're in the starting gate. You hear of a course hole because someone is being helicoptered out of the um, camels or someone's being helicoptered out of the cheslot. What goes through your mind as a racer at the start? How do you handle it? How do you turn it into something positive potentially to make sure you can run your run on a race that's really dangerous? I think for me, I mean, it's not specific to uh, Gardena, just any race. When you get iced in the start like that, and you know what's going on, but all the coaches are trying to tell you, oh, there's just a gate out down there or, or whatever, but you know, you know, someone wrecked. And but that's just part of ski racing. You got to just, uh, we, we all know why we're there. And you're there to be the fastest guy down the mountain. And you've trained for it. You got to trust that you are trained and ready to make it you know and block out that uh distraction because you didn't have any part in creating that you know one of your competitors made a mistake and you just got to trust that you're not going to make that mistake and kind of goes back to what we talked about on the podcast last week with the inspection and the the mental fortitude of just standing in that start gate and trying to be the fastest guy down um and for at Valgardena, that's why it's so fun to be an American there because our whole team has that that stoke and the fire to have so much confidence there and uh we you know it's going off the topic a little bit but just I don't know I love hearing Steven talk about Valgardena because it's like he does so well there the rest of the guys have a uh, another uh 
just another little bit of spark. I feel like we roll into that valley. So really looking forward to this week and watching you, Steven. Thank you. What's been super fun is um, we have a new coach this year, Kanan Pollock, and he's never skied down the hill. And he got back from the course today and he was just like, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. You know, I'm like, <laughs> dude, wait till you get on the rest of these tracks, man. Like it's, it's just every weekend just slipping down the tracks. You're just like, wow, this is, I'm so lucky. And that's why I keep doing it. I love it. I feel capable. Um, and, and Louis talking about what you were, or to answer what you were talking about, the, the best way you can prepare for those situations is preparing, like being as strong as possible, being ready, having the miles, honing in your equipment, knowing that everything is right. Because when things aren't right and you're getting into those situations, that's when things go wrong. So um, just, just knowing that you've done everything you can, that's gonna limit those sort of situations more than anything. Yeah, that prep work that gives you confidence. Like you said before, we talked about in Beaver Creek uh, about skiing with conviction. I think that's like, I mean, where your head is, it makes such a big difference. Um, AJ, what do you think about uh, how tight the times are in Val Gardena? I mean, I was, I think I was like low teens one year, like 14th. I remember the top 30 was 1.28. There's a separation of 1.28 seconds in the top 30. And you see a lot of ties there. For how much terrain and how long it is, like, I mean, I'll throw this at AJ, but uh, you too, Nyman, like, what do you guys think? Like, I mean, why is it so tight always? Yeah, it's definitely a place we see more ties than anywhere else. I just think the terrain and, and the uniqueness of that track is kind of the great equalizer, right? It's really difficult to, you know, to train for that in the off season or just away from the World Cup. And, and I just think it's an equalizer. I mean, it really certainly, you know, skis are really important on the top flat but you know whatever you gain up there you can easily lose by you know not flying the camel's ride or one mistake in the shah's lot or you know there's there's all kinds of ways for things to get equalized out and and really it's not a very steep run so once you do make a mistake getting back up to speed takes so long and uh yeah i just think it's i think this is the equalizer of the uniqueness of that place uh, you had fast skis in top of Beaver Creek, Stephen. You were rocking and rolling your fishers, and you've always had uh, incredible skis at Val Gardena. Can you just put us into your brain uh, across? You've done the looping, which is the big jump about 10 seconds into the start, and then there's 15 seconds of flats. What Are you thinking about anything? Are you thinking about aerodynamics? Are you thinking about keeping your skis flat? What goes through your mind? Because you are always so fast up there. Just you know, talk to a U14. What are you thinking about to ride the flats so fast? Biggest thing for me is elbows in. If I keep my elbows in on my chest, that blocks the wind. And that's something you taught me, Darren, actually, is, is when the elbows are together, that's blocking the wind from hitting your chest. And um, there's a few places on the the World Cup track to where you can actually do that. Usually you're so active that your arms are open and your knees need room to move. But when you can get in that position, it's so much faster. I'd say it's a huge key for guys like you and Bryce too. Like these are such big dudes that have a huge chest exposed, you know, if, if that that's like the windbreak right there. So keep them pinned, buddy. You know how that's, to do that. That's my focus here because keep the chest down. Keep the was really good. <laughs> chest down. My, my 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 focus here is to 
if any time I'm getting out, my arms are going forward. Uh, Beaver Creek, I'm opening up. I wasn't, I wasn't super balanced. I wasn't super confident. And uh, after Pump House, I opened up and I skied it really well, but I just was open. And Dom Paris put six ski lengths on me from when I disappeared in the trees to when I reappeared. And it's, it's just because I think I was open. Uh, so I think that's just super key, especially in higher speed areas. Yeah, I was always thinking about trying to like connect my hands, you know, like touch the thumbs together. If I was, if I had to come out of a tuck, like, I mean, I was looking for everything I had to, you know, try and keep up with you big guys, but I was always thinking about coming out and hands together, hands together, like feel those, those hands hit. And if they hit a couple of times, even in one turn, it's better than not, you know, being together yeah, at all. I, I agree. I, I think in vision, I, I say, if my hands aren't seen in my goggles, they're, they're wider than this so gotta see them in my goggles that's going to keep them in front of me all right let's move on to the americans and how well you've done here nyman all three of your wins were here bryce has been twice fourth a sixth and an eighth racs second last year goldberg sixth last year won a training run ganong six and seven this seems like the place that we, we that we can own the american dollar can own Talk about that that positivity as as a as a team, and is it different team meetings when you're there? What is it about that place that you can build off of as the Americans? Um, I think we just we we love it. I think we grew up uh, in the train park era, and we we became comfortable in the jumps and with the jumps to where it's it's maybe easier than the europeans um now maybe a lot of those guys have grown up with that and they're getting closer i have no clue but um I th i've always thought that was an advantage and, th and that's something i dabbed in as a kid as well so having the train having the train is an advantage um in that sense but it's just it's the love of the course it's the it's the feeling on the snow. I think it's aggressive. It's good snow. I think, um, to me, what fired me up, honestly, was being there with Darren and Bodie and you guys just like sharing that information. I just ate it up the first year and I was just like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm on it. I'm on it. And I beat it in, but, um, <laughs> I won my second year and, uh, it's, 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 it's just like, the, I've never been to a place that is, looks like this. It's, it's these rolling hills and cow pastures with these massive spiry mountains around you. And it's just incredibly beautiful. And every time you're standing up top, you're just like, wow, I'm so lucky to experience this. And this is just, it's just incredible. Like take advantage of it. And honestly, the mountains just motivate me sounds corny but it, it does <laughs> i think you have to be a skier that just understands how to love being on your skis and, and love just skiing and free skiing to be able to do well there i mean because it's so much about flow and the terrain and and being creative with the lines you choose i agree with that i like i i didn't have coaches that showed up as kids and and i just go ski and i just go challenge myself in so many varying different pieces of terrain 
Um, why I've also found I'm one of the best gliders in the world, or I think I'm one of the best gliders in the world is Sundance where I grew up has a front mountain and a back mountain. And to get to from the back to the front, you skip this roll run called toilet bowl and it kind of twirls down. And then it's this long flat that traverses around the mountain. And I'd always chase the guys from the BOU ski team who are like in their twenties. I'm this little 12 year old kid. I'm trying to keep up with them. I don't understand physics or anything like that. Like I just was like, got to keep up. And I think I honed that touch by, by just trying to keep up with the big boys back in the day. Um, and I still have that touch now. So last week we talked about course reports. Uh, are the course reports different at Valgardena for this team that, that loves this course so much? Talk about what you want in a, in a course report from a coach and from an athlete and which athletes give you the best ones. To me, course reports, uh, it comes down to when you're inspecting, you got to talk to the coach, what your plan is, what you feel. Um, you can listen to them and you can trust yourself. Uh, I, I believe in yourself more than what the coaches say. You, you want to ski the line that you are convinced in. If you're skiing that with conviction, you're going to be faster than skiing something that you're trying with a little hesitation that that maybe somebody did and was faster but if you're not convinced in it then i, I would go with what you're convinced with um and communicating that to the coaches so when they hear your name you're up you want to hear what you got to hear they they know what to tell you they're like okay you're on point you're off point um but for me mainly it's just snow condition snow conditions and flight lengths and uh and yeah if anything drastic change but for the most part you, you have to convince and trust yourself steven i had one specific thing i wanted to ask you um you know the the guy who's actually won the most on this course is the godfather leo moosey your service man <laughs> give oh, a yeah. shot at him um you know he tuned for christian Godina. And now he's with you and Bryce. And I think how many, I don't know how many wins he has on that track, but has he ever given you, what's his, uh, his key to, to the SAS log? Is there any, anything that he says? Leo's won seven times, three with me, four with Gadina. Um, it, he'll be a tough one to catch, <laughs> but um, today he said He's going to tell me what he thought after my first win and he's going to wait till I retire. So <laughs> can't wait to hear whatever he has to say. Um, and the only other person who knows what he said is Mick Branch. So well, I, I'm itching to hear whatever he has to say. <laughs> and then uh, secondly, his the way he talks is it's, it's about rolling from section to section, carrying the most speed. It's all one continuous movement from top to bottom and um, learning how to link those together and continue building speed wherever you can is kind of his wisest words. Um, it's a flatter course. So when you lose that speed, it's hard to regain it. And if you can uh, continually limit the mistakes and, and build speed, I think you're, you're destined for a good run. Hey guys, why do I have my helmet on like this? Gadina, oh, baby. This is Christian Gadina's style in the start <laughs> gate for inspection. 
He'd roll his helmet on backwards. He'd talk in like he was a different guy there in Valgardena. It was crazy. You know, he's just like having so much fun, just chatting it up, but helmet on backwards. He thought it was the coolest, coolest <laughs> dude there. And, uh, you know, he, he showed us what it was all about. But like Adina, man, that was the next level there for him. So what's your deal? You put your helmet on backwards too, Nyman, or what do you do? <laughs> I love, uh, I love watching him i watched him for one year um and then when he retired here his retirement run was great um but he he almost wouldn't even inspect he just he knew the course he knew what was going on he just it was more like hey hey ciao ciao what's up you know it was crazy and when he did his retirement run he ran on skis from his first year on the world cup it was old and i was like dude you're not going to make the camels. And he totally did. It was pretty wild. Old boots, old skis, old bindings, everything. It was, it was impressive. Nice. Well, Steven, I know you got to get to dinner. Uh, it is the night before the first training run. My last question, uh, just to, to warn AJ, um, Marco and Darren, we're not going to do predictions. We're going to have all three Americans on the podium. That's our prediction. It can be any combination of you guys who you want. But I, I'm interested, and we never – well, Super G came in late in my career, but you're going to have training run, training run, Super G downhill. What is it like to switch focus from a downhill training run to racing a Super G and then to get back into a downhill? I never had to experience that. How do you handle that mentally? Um, we do that in Kitzbühel as well, uh, and we're kind of used to it, but the funny thing is when I do well in the Super G here, I tend to do well in the downhill, and Leo always says it, so, um, this downhill, though, is more of a downhillish downhill, unlike Beaver Creek, which is more of a technical skiers downhill, this one favors the, the guys who want to go straight, and, uh, it's a little different the way it goes over the terrain, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of little timing pieces on the trail, but it's it's a gun and go, and you got to just hammer down the thing, and it gets you in that mode for the downhill as well. So I don't think it really takes you out of the game. It keeps you in the game, and you have to have that same mentality. Any further questions? AJ, Marco, Darren? I'm just wishing you uh, best of luck, Steven. Uh, one more victory here, and you uh, tie Gadina for most ever, and I think that's uh, that's what I want to see, man. Add to the legacy. Good luck, Steven. Have fun. Thank you, boys. Same as right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now and then rally the rest of the team. Stack the boys in there. All righty. <laughs> This is, I, I can feel it. This is going to be an historic weekend for the American Downhillers. Hey, thanks everybody for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, please, please spread the word. Share it with your friends, coaches, teammates, and your club. You can find us on SkiRacing.com with the video and now in audio form, either on Spotify or coming up soon with Apple Podcasts. Just search American Downhiller Podcast. Darren's got his helmet on backwards. The next downhill on the circuit for the men will be Bormio, a race that defined my career and also where Darren won some precious medal as well. Described as one of the most challenging on the circuit, it comes right after the holiday break. It is dark, it is bumpy, it is icy, and a leg and mind burner that tests every racer. So stay tuned for that. Good luck, Stephen. Thanks. And always remember, ski fast, ski safe.